0: This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the Obsessive Viewer, where we're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. Also, you can help support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And if you want to support us without opening our wallet, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, we would appreciate it. And so, yeah, how's it going, Tiny. Oh, pretty good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good, Nat. Wow. I don't. <laughs> Have you been watching Fargo or anything? Yeah. Or, oh, oh, is it because of the, the accents? Accent. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah. So today on the podcast, we are, <laughs> we are reviewing, uh, the Netflix docu, docu series that's been sweeping the, uh, the, the kind of, Twitterverse and kind of the the cultural zeitgeist recently since it was released uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Making a murderer. Um, it's on Netflix. It's a ten ten part documentary series. Uh, Tiny. Would you say that this was the the biggest thing to be released on December eighteenth of last year? Um. Sure, because uh,
1: Star Wars came out on the 17th, so...
0: Well, technically. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) joke landed. Um. (laughs) So, yeah, so, okay, um, I'm kind of torn, Tiny. I don't know how you want to do this, but uh, it's really hard to talk about this without spoiling it. True. So normally what we do is we will discuss something in kind of broad terms, and then we'll do a spoiler discussion... Um, and then I'll edit that and put it at the end of the episode. But with this one, I think that we'll just have it all in the bulk of the um, of the discussion instead of editing it and putting it at the end. So uh, we'll, we, we will still have a non-spoiler section, but we will also have a spoiler section immediately after that so that we can discuss it um, all in one spot. And I don't think that'll really be an issue because this documentary series has been... <laughs> kind of really huge it is
1: um, bigger than i thought it was going to be yeah
0: me too and it's it's kind of funny there's um some interesting not really parallels but um there's some interesting things in common i guess with uh the first season of true detective um hmm. so, somewhat to me for, from at least uh parallels to my personal um experience with with going into true detective and going into this cuz this documentary series just kind of popped up out of nowhere there was it really did yeah there was um it was maybe a couple, two or three months before it premiered. They had a, uh, a teaser for it and they announced the release date and everything. And then, and I, I thought it looked intriguing. I kind of put it on our schedule of topics to, do, to, uh, for future episodes, uh, to do. And then I just kind of, kind of forgot about it. And then it was released and everyone just flocked to it and then, yeah, and then when season one of True Detective came out, it was kind of a similar thing. I saw a teaser for it, and I thought this could be pretty good. And then it was released, and it was just a sensation. So right, yeah, it's a very loose parallel there. So okay, um, yeah, I was confused for yeah. a second. I was like, really? That's kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, so for it, so if you haven't if you haven't watched Making a Murderer yet, here's your chance to hear our thoughts about it and um, hear us talk about what it's really about. Um. Tiny, do you want to give kind of a plot outline? It has
1: I guess a description of what it is. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's a true true crime docu series, and they started filming it in what 2005, I believe.
0: Uh, it yeah,
1: took two. It took ten years to make it. Mm-hmm, so right, it's a it's a long time coming, really. Um, it's about a man who uh, was um, basically on trial for murder in. Wisconsin in the state of Wisconsin uh and it's basically just about his trial i mean that's the broadest broadest description we can give of it but there's there's tons of special circumstances involved mm. in the in the case and it really sets it apart from your typical any any trial really it, it's it's a very very right. unique case uh for a handful of reasons um which i won't spoil um i, I mean you can you, Be careful Googling this at all because there's so many spoilers out there on the internet. Um, This is a trial that happened seven or eight years ago, right? um, concluded seven or eight years ago. So you can look up what happened before this even came out. Yeah. Um, So you have to be very careful if you're trying to research it at all. If if you want my advice, just go to Netflix and see their synopsis Mm -hmm. and see if you want to watch it from there. Um,
0: Or just watch it. Cause it's, just it's it, really yeah. good. That's, that's true. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a really unique, unique experience watching him because it's, it starts out with, uh, the first episode is just all about his, the, the, uh, subject of the documentary, Stephen uh, uh Avery. And it's about his, he had a run in with the law, um, in, uh, uh, years before. And he basically was convicted for a crime. He didn't, it didn't commit. Right. And then the entire first episode is just detailing that. And then by the end of it, you think like, what, what, like that, it kind of showed their entire hand, but Mm -hmm. the entire, the entire series is something completely different. And it's just, it's, it's really amazing to me. It, It was, it was very gripping and yeah. So why don't we, why don't we start with just talking about how we felt about it, um, First of all, and then we can dive into an, a proper discussion. Which, by the way, I'm super excited to talk to you about it because I know that you're you went to school for criminal justice, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh, it'll be an interesting conversation. A little bit, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, what was your overall thoughts on the on the series? I absolutely so?
1: loved it. It was what? so
0: addicting. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so many people are comparing it to Serial because right. of its because of its its true crime and its addictive nature. Um, it's it they aren't really that comparable of. Things really, um, because I mean, one's a podcast and one's vid, uh, you know, (laughs) video. Um, but still, it's, it's, it's you have that same kind of reaction to it because it's such a shocking story and there's so much, there's so much information involved in it. Um, right. It's, it's a really well done documentary. I I really, I really respect so many of this the decisions that the filmmakers made. Um, and just, I mean, just their commitment to this ten years. They committed 10 years before they, this ever was released and before anybody ever saw it. Um, that's like unheard of almost. Um, right. Because you just talk about all the investment you put into this, all the time, the money, um, everything you put into this, you just have to put it on hold for years and years and years and years, and years um, before it's ever released and you ever get any, you know, anything back from it. Um, so there's there's so many things about this docuseries that really sets it apart. Um uh, Any everyone I've talked to just who's seen it was like addicted to it, and they burned through it super quick just yeah. like just like I did um, so did i yeah it's 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 addictive and it's uh it's just a really really compelling story mm-hmm. um the way it's all put together we can we'll discuss later all the intricacies of it um because it's really something you have to dive into to really it's something you have to really unpack completely to really. Give your opinion on it and discuss it. You have to just focus on all these different parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ju- just as a source of entertainment, it's phenomenal. It's it was so much fun to watch, and uh, I even I just kind of turned it on one day, and my my girlfriend happened to walk in while I was watching it, and she wasn't even going to watch it, mm-hmm. and then she just she caught a couple minutes, and she was like, "So what's going on now?" <laughs> and she watched all ten episodes with me, so nice. um, she she really got into it as well. Um, it's it, it's just a a really incredible story.
0: Uh, absolutely. And I echo that exactly. Like I, I'd heard about it. Like I knew, I, I, like I said, I was aware of it and everything and I was excited for, it, but I wasn't that, I mean, December was pretty packed with, in terms of our scheduling for the podcast and everything mm-hmm. too. So like I had originally intended for us to review it at the end of December Um, but that fell through because we had so much stuff going on with, with Star Wars and everything. Right. So we just, I, I, it just didn't happen. And I thought that it was going to just basically be relegated to a potpourri section. And then I started seeing all of the, all of the Twitter fervor and all, all of the discussion being, um, had around it. And I was, I just immediately, immediately thought like, I'm going to have to watch this immediately because I don't want to get spoiled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I did, and it was just, like you said, it was, it was very gripping and it was just really, um, infuriating, really is the word that I keep coming back to. Yeah. Um, so much stuff happens throughout the course of this 10, these 10 episodes, and it, it's, it, it's spectacular in the way that it's, it's handled and presented and packaged all together. Um, but it's also just so, so bingeable and i don't like using the word like binge or anything cuz i feel like that's really overused yeah. but i mean that's the best way to describe it it's it's very bingeable it's they have episodes that end in a way that make you just think like i i don't care about work tomorrow i'm <laughs> going to watch the next episode yeah um it's just it's just spectacularly well well constructed and the content is just just amazing that like we'll get into Okay, so, okay, so yeah, that's, that's basically my overall thoughts on it, or my broad strokes thought of, thoughts on it. Before we get into the actual, the actual meat of it and the spoiler discussion of it, um, how did you feel about the style of it? Like the filmmaking and how the footage was edited all together and how the information was divulged to us and just basically its overall presentation?
1: Uh, I was really impressed with the direction they took because, uh, first of all, we're incredibly Lucky that the state of Wisconsin allows cameras in their courtrooms, right? Because there almost wouldn't be a documentary without it, right? I mean, it'd, it'd be pretty much impossible. Um, but I, I really appreciated the um, the dedication to kind of letting that footage speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's probably three—I uh, don't know—seventy to three quarters, seventy percent to seventy-five percent of this documentary is just footage from inside a courtroom. Yeah, um, which can be so boring i mean oh it's, absolutely it, it's people talking it drags mm-hmm. on forever uh th- there's so many people who are just there to just make sure things don't get out of hand and it, it can just be there's all this legal speak it's very mm-hmm. plain there's no there's very few adjectives used in a courtroom it's all very plain speak it, it can be theatrical obviously but um they did a good job of of including all of that Footage because it's so pertinent and it matters so mm-hmm. much, but it wasn't just a droll on in a just a dragged out, boring trial. Right. I mean, they, they interspersed things where they needed to 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 explain things, and it, it was just it was very well constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's there's some choices they made. Um, for example, people, like I said, people could keep, keep comparing this to Serial, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest differences between this and Serial is that with Serial, uh, the host has placed herself into the investigation. Right. And so we're seeing everything, we're being led through everything uh, from her perspective. Now, this documentary, Making a Murderer, is also through the perspective of the filmmakers, but... I really respected their decision not to insert themselves into it. Right. And sort of, we we didn't really need a guide per se mm-hmm. through this. We did, cause you don't need any narration or anything like that. So, you know, there's plenty of documentaries where they, where filmmakers do that. Uh, right. Gasland was a really popular documentary where he was right in the middle of it. That's what Michael Moore does in every single one mm-hmm. of his documentaries. He, he kind of hosts it or guides you through it. I don't think this needed that. And I think the filmmakers picked up on that really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's a great decision. It's a very, um, selfless decision totally because i think it's 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 kind of uh, natural to want to put yourself to insert yourself into a story when the onus for the story's credibility is on you i I understand why people do that Um, right i I think that was a great decision for this um
0: yeah me too it it was just the way that it, it this is one thing that just absolutely doesn't really perplex me or 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 Uh, confuse me or anything but it it makes me so um it it boggles my mind to to try to wrap my head around how a documentarian or or filmmakers can take footage of so much stuff and then compile it into just a a narrative that's as smooth and gripping as this um Mm -hmm. like uh a good example of that is is at uh Heartland Film Festival I saw a movie called The Big Lonely that was just the filmmakers gave a guy and gave a guy who lives in the woods um two cameras and he shot for 11 months just alone and uh gave him gave them um hundreds of hours of footage and then they cut together a a narrative um, from that and it's, it was an, an incredible movie and it's a, a similar situation with this on a bigger scale actually because they had 10 years worth of footage right um or 10 years worth of story with with i can't imagine how much footage they had um, and it's worth noting like the courtroom scenes like a big a big portion of this documentary is the courtroom the the trial and um obviously they cut out a lot of stuff from it because it was a six-week trial but I, I, I it felt so seamless um, yeah. to me. And it was just, at times I was watching and I was just, I was so gripped by it thinking that, I, <laughs> thinking that it wasn't possible that they could make something so, so non-scripted or so unscripted feel so um, narratively driven, basically. And that's kind of one of the, it's a, worth pointing out that the defense attorneys, like they, they became kind of the the heroes of the documentary. Yeah, they did. In um, the aftermath, and well, like like totally totally deserved because mm-hmm. they were incredible and they their presence in in the in the courtroom was just astounding. And yeah. I really loved the way that they argued their case. Um, and yeah, it was just it was, I, I just loved seeing how it was how they packaged all the information and and just. Gave it to us, and it, it was such a such a com, um, uh, consumable consumable narrative. Basically, um, it was just packaged
1: really well. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. So why don't we just why don't we stop kind of beating around the bush and just get into the actual specifics of it? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I'll probably cut and, and put um, a spoiler warning here, but if you haven't watched Making a Murderer yet, um, I please please. Do and then come back and listen to us discuss it. If you haven't watched it yet, then um go to the show notes and then check the timestamps to skip to our potpourri section. So having said that, we are going to get into spoilers right now. so tiny (laughs) yeah let's i i'm thinking let's just go through let's just go through the kind of the timeline basically bruce willis was dead the whole time (laughs) (laughs) stupid yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) no but um so so it starts out i mentioned it in the broad stroke section that it starts out with Stephen avery getting um arrested and then spending 18 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit Mm -hmm. and i thought that that If I, if I, if I had a fault, if I had a problem with it, it it felt like all of that was very quick. Um, and they gave us all the information extraordinarily quickly in that, in that first episode there for that backstory, which, I mean, it makes sense because it's, it's kind of just, uh, it's, it's not an integral part to the story overall. But, um, I felt like they kind of brushed over the, um, the incident, the incident where he runs his cousin off the road. Um, if you remember that. Yeah, that was kind of it, it kind of set it up to where um, or kind of seemed to set it up to where uh, they were implying that the the sheriff's office or the sheriff's department had a grudge against him for doing that to his his cousin after some some kind of altercation because her his cousin or whoever it was, was involved with a deputy or something like that. Do you remember that? She was, was she married to a deputy? I, I couldn't remember if she was married or just involved with, I, I want to say she was married. Okay, yeah, I think him. so too. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and and you know, you're right that that was, I, I don't know if I'd say it was brushed over, but I would say it was massaged to fit mm-hmm. the narrative that they wanted to establish. Right. Um. It, it was, it, in a way, they're, obviously this is a true story, so there's no characters, mm-hmm. but If this were fiction, that would be their way of establishing the character of Stephen Avery. True, true, and and, and it's no, it's no mystery. You know the the opinions of the filmmakers is no mystery. They think that the man is is innocent, at least to the point that they think he deserves a new trial or uh, he should be. Uh, his evidence need to be look, needs to be looked at again. At the very least, that's what they think. So, they're they're sympathetic towards Stephen Avery as filmmakers, right? And they want to prevent present him as a sympathetic character. And I think mm-hmm. that was that event was uh, presented in a way that painted him in a sympathetic light.
0: That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. and it and it was a very uh, good way to establish the character of Stephen Avery, if, mm. if I can say that, but um, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about um, how, how some of the articles have come out that talks about how, how some of the stuff was omitted from it later, but right, um right. We'll, we'll come back to that. But um, at the center of this documentary series is our two um, trials, really there's Stephen Avery's trial and then uh, the trial of Brendan uh, Dassey. Who is his, uh, nephew, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. who was, uh, like, it's, it's just, it's so, it's so, it's so crazy to me that the, the thesis statement of this whole documentary series is basically how people can slip through the cracks of, of the, ju- and, and be, uh, served up by the justice system basically yeah, and, and yeah. just be just devoured by it, right? Um, unfairly so. So, in it's, before we get to the actual trials, I'm. Uh, we should talk about the actual crime. <laughs> right, right. I just, I just kind of realized that. Um, so in uh, was it 2005 or 2003? No, it was like 2005. 2005. Yeah. Uh, in in 2005, a a a photographer for Auto Trader was was found. She went missing and then was eventually found. Uh, well, not even her body was found. Just just pieces of her bones were found. Mm-hmm. Um. And and it seemed from the narrative that the documentary series was establishing, it seemed very clear that the sheriff's department planted evidence on his property to ensure that they got a conviction mm-hmm. um, from that. And that's what basically the entire documentary series is centered around. So how did you – first of all, did you know anything about the case before you started it? I, I knew absolutely nothing about this. Same here. Same here. Nothing whatsoever. Um, I was actually kind of miffed, I guess, because I uh, watched the trailer for it on on Netflix um, about a week or two before it premiered, and I, I watched it and I was like, "They're giving away a lot of stuff in this in this preview," not realizing that most of the stuff is the is this trial and everything. And They were talking about the sexual assault that he was uh, in prison for. Okay, but it was just it's it, the story is just so dense with with stuff to to unpack that it's it's just jarring to me really mm-hmm. um so yeah so i didn't know anything going into it either and as steven's trial kind of started to unfold um and granted throughout it there's it bounces back and forth between brendan's story and, and steven so we'll just focus on steven's trial for now mm-hmm. how did you feel the um the depiction of the trial was and how did you feel about the case overall that as presented by the documentary series
1: Um, at first I was kind of like, I kind of reacted the same way you did. I was just really angry throughout it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, this is just ridiculous. I can't believe this is happening. Um, but then after I think maybe the fifth or sixth episode, I was like, you know what? This is all being presented from, this is a biased presentation of this information. Right. You know, I mean, like we found out after, after the, uh, well, I'd found out after, um, I watched it all, did some research online. Mm -hmm. There's tons of. Evidence and uh, other kinds of st- stories, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it unsubstantiated, I think, but all kinds of stories and evidence. And that,
0: character stories against right. Stephen Avery, too.
1: Yeah, stuff that was not presented in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about a six-week trial. It's it's literally impossible to put all that into a documentary unless you want it to be like 30 or 40 hours long. Right. Um, so I understand there has to be editing, but... Mm-hmm when you're talking about something as delicate as adjudicating a, a case against a person, you have to have every single detail that exists in order to have an informed opinion. Right. And it has to be presented objectively. Um, And, and we don't get that in this documentary. So after five or six episodes, I was like, all right, I need to sit back and really, really try to be, a, be an objective viewer because this, this documentary is not an objective documentary um and so that's kind of how i that's kind of how i evolved as a viewer of it Mm -hmm. i guess um i don't know i i want to be very critical of it but at the same time i I think these filmmakers did a pretty good job and Mm -hmm. and they kind of did what did what they could um right i I think they could have been more objective but that's just me
0: right and that's kind of the burden of the document the documentary format too yeah because i mean it's like i don't think that there's a problem with presenting um a somewhat biased thing i don't think that it's inherent to the documentary format maybe it's a little bit inherent to the true crime documentary format but i don't think it's inherent to documentaries itself to present an unbiased uh thing i mean they definitely had a story th- that they carved out of this greater story of uh i would argue potential tragedy um well uh, obviously it's a tragedy if well, a woman ended up dead but right. she's not the focal point of the thing i'm putting my foot in my mouth but um <laughs> uh, but they don't ha- like they presented it the way that they wanted to present it and i think that it it worked it worked ex- extraordinarily effectively not so much to to convince the viewer to, um, to sympathize with Stephen himself or with Brendan or with this particular subject. But on the greater scale, it presented, um, it presented a a clear thesis about how the, how, uh, there's this there's systemic issues within the criminal justice system and how people can be just completely ripped apart and their families entirely just, you know, destroyed by, um, by basically something that's that could potentially be completely unfounded.
1: I think that's the more important point that you just yeah. you touched on is that you know so many people are focusing on did he do it or didn't he do it. Everyone has an opinion. I have an opinion, mm-hmm. and, and that's really interesting to discuss. I've enjoyed that with the people yeah. who watched it. But I think the bigger point with this is that our our justice system is tragically flawed. Yeah, and, and that's that is demonstrated very well in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to the points later but th- th- there's just so much so many things that could have gone different ways in this trial mm-hmm. and, and and i think so many so many different people made so many different mistakes and just tainted this entire case to a, a really a really disappointing and tragic level i mean just really you you want you want to have faith mm-hmm. in the concept the concept of justice Right. You really want to. I do. You know, I want to feel that when someone goes to jail for the rest of their life, they should be there. Right. Um, and when someone gets acquitted, at, uh, you know, on the other side of that, they, they should be free and get to live out the rest of their life with their family and loved ones and mm-hmm. have their freedom. Without um, judgment, also. Without judgment, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's not something we get with our legal system. We, we kind right. of, we kind of pretend that it does. Yeah. But it really doesn't. And I, I think that's exemplified to a very unfortunate degree in this in this documentary so I, I think that's the bigger point that I think people should focus on is that the justice system is screwed mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 kind of scary when you think about
0: it absolutely and yet yeah, scary is the perfect word to describe it like yeah. throughout and, and there are a lot of I, I I definitely drew parallels between this and serial last year yeah me too, too. Yeah. um which I'm kind of <laughs> glad that this is I'm kind of glad that this is here for us to, to watch and everything and kind of chew on because I haven't, I haven't, I haven't listened to season two of Serial yet, um, mm-hmm. as it's airing and I, I'm just not that intrigued by it yet. But yeah. anyway, um, but this, this whole experience reminded me of my experience with Serial in that at the end of, at the end of that first season of Serial, I was just like, okay, I, I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if he did it or not, but, it's very clear that he didn't deserve like he that the they they did uh they didn't meet the burden of proof or he didn't have a fair trial and i right. feel i felt the same way coming away from from making a murderer um but it, but this time around i just kind of got such an intense feeling of dread um not so much for the people in the documentary except for brendan We'll we'll get to that but um I felt just an, an an incredible amount of dread in that for the first for one of the first times ever I I thought if I was in that position if I was just if I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and, or someone said the wrong thing and and the wrong person became convinced that I did something that I didn't like just how the emotional the emotional toll that that kind of situation would take in which you are you are fighting against people who are convinced that you are something that you know in your soul that you're not right. Is just, it's just, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. to It me. really is. And it's, it's something that was communicated very well in this documentary series. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but before we get to the actual trials and everything, um, are, are we, we're kind of all over the place, but, um, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the media. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, in terms of Brendan, who, um, in the documentary series was like very clearly coerced into conf- confessing. Yeah. I, like, I, I was so angry at yeah. that because I don't understand how it's possible that that, that, that confession or anything was even, even admissible. Like, I don't see right. how he could possibly even charged with that. Yeah. Just because so many, so many things. He's a minor. There was no legal. There was no legal or guardian. There's no legal guardian present. There was no. Yeah. Uh, it, he's clearly, clearly not mentally capable of, of um, giving a giving a statement like that. And it's just the the how that situation literally ruined his entire life. Yeah. Is just heartbreaking and infuriating and terrifying all the same. Um. Mm-hmm yeah and and one thing about that that just immediately just angered me beyond belief and the thing that you could argue definitely um helped solidify brendan's fate in this documentary series is how the media just just ran with it yeah, they did yeah, printing the details of 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 the statement of the confession and and using it for headlines about the grisly murder of right. of the woman and how um there was one moment, I can't remember if it's, if it was when Brendan's whole thing, um, happened or if it was at, if it was regarding Steven, but there was a moment that they didn't really, they didn't really follow through on it or they didn't really, um, they didn't really leave this as a, as a, uh, far reaching arc, I guess, for the documentary series, but there was one moment where the produce, a producer for Dateline is on, is on s- screen and she just, she has this, uh, <laughs> Uh, for lack of a better term, she has this eating grin on her face, yeah. and says that murder is so hot right now, and we're supposed to, or we're going to, um, we need to make sure that we get it before someone else, another network scoops right. it or whatever. Right. And that was just so absolutely infuriating to me, and like that mm. made my blood boil because these are people's lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Ugh. that's another another really strong indictment of this documentary is. I mean, I before this, I knew that the the media is is not interested in the truth. The, the media right. is interested in what sells papers and what mm-hmm. gets people to watch their programs at night. That's what the media is interested in. Absolutely, um, and, and people confuse that as well. That's that's something you know. People sit there and watch the news or read the paper, and they think this is the truth. Mm-hmm. This is what happened in this situation because it's in the paper. We trust that, but it's really that's not what that's not what. The media is about anymore right um, it, you can argue it never was i think it's it, there was more integrity in the past but anymore it's just it's exactly what that lady said Murder's hot right now it's it's, yeah. it's about what people will look at mm-hmm. it's not about what's true um and that was that was demonstrated time and again in this in this documentary as well um there was a part where uh um th- there's a part where something is decided in the court and mm-hmm you see this camera that's outside the courtroom and you see these these reporters just running literally running yeah. sprinting out to get to their camera and get their mic on and get their makeup all done and be be perfect and the reason is because if you're the first one there you have a claim to that information right that's how the media works it's kind of like trademark kind of stuff mm-hmm. i'm i'm not sure of the ins and outs of it but you know if you're the first news uh the news source to have a piece of information all other news sources have to cite you after right that. so being first is huge it doesn't necessarily matter if the information is true right it's just about the fact that you said it first and you know if you're wrong you can just kind of go back later and be like oh well we actually were misinformed here mm-hmm. this is what actually happened um it, it's it's a really tragic state of events that that's what that's what people follow. Mm-hmm. P- people look to that for the truth, and that's not what they're interested in at all.
0: Absolutely, and it's funny that we're talking about this right after doing our uh, year in review episode, in which we both had Spotlight as our number one movie. Yeah, which yeah. was a a film that uh, in part celebrated uh, journalistic integrity. Right, and this it, this is a stark contrast to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I may have misspoked earlier misspoke earlier because I. Uh, Cause they did kind of follow through with, with the in, indictment of the media presence in the trial and everything mm-hmm. they're And like the thing that really stuck with me was um I believe it was after Brendan's sentence or his verdict was read um, when, the, when the cameras were just swarming uh the mother and following her out. And like, she just, she just, flipped out and screamed at them. Yeah. Um like it was so raw that I had to rewind it and put subtitles on cuz I couldn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. And that yeah. was just oh that was that was just heartbreaking. It really was. Um Yeah, so so what did you think of the uh, we talked about how the trials were presented and like the way just I I can't get over how amazing how amazingly well this was edited all together and they made They made what is like a boring, frankly, a boring, um, a boring part of our justice system into appointment viewing. And I mean, granted, they cut out a lot of stuff and they, they, you know, all that, but it's, it was just so gripping to me how they, how they handled the footage and everything. And it's funny that you said that, uh, we were so glad that the, so happy that the, uh, uh, state of Wisconsin allows cameras in the courtrooms. And mm. like, I immediately wanted to say, like, I think that that's the only thing that we're going to thank the state <laughs> of Wisconsin for. That's true. Yeah. Cause it does not paint a favorable picture to them or, uh, particularly, particularly the, uh, Manitowoc County sheriffs. Yes.
1: Um, and, and the Calumet County prosecutors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean the, the trial was really presented well cause it, it, it it felt like you're getting this cast of characters that are going mm-hmm. up against one another. And, you know, again, they're real people. They're not right. characters, but, um, th- if you will, the leads were the two defense attorneys, mm. Dean Strang and Jerry Buting, who right. were hired by Stephen Avery. Um, he was, Stephen Avery got a settlement from the, uh, from Manitowoc County, actually. It wasn't the state. Oh, okay. it was the county, wasn't it? Right. I think so. Because that was a bit, that was part of the big deal was that he thought, he was suing the county for like $36 million. Now, mm-hmm. for the state of Wisconsin, for the federal government, $36 million, it's not good, but they can eat that no problem. right? Manitowoc County, that's a lot of money. Right, That's a ton of money. And so he thinks, you know, part of one of the theories, I think maybe Stephen Avery's part of his theory is that they framed him for this murder because they didn't want to pay $36 million to the guy. Right. Um, and he ended up settling for, I think, 400 grand. Okay. Um, and he used – he unfortunately, I think part of the reason he settled for that is because he needed money to get lawyers for this new trial he was a part of.
0: Right. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he
1: – I mean it was kind of a, a blessing, if you will, that he mm-hmm. was able to get that money because I assume Dean Strang and Jerry Buting are some high-level lawyers uh, and they probably cost – tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, people also don't realize how expensive it is to Mm -hmm. be arrested and be prosecuted for something. Going to trial is just so much money.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things that really struck me um, and and terrified me too, is that like, there's a moment where um, Stephen Avery says, I think it's kind of in the early episodes of the documentary that he says that um, something to the effect of poor people never win. Yeah, or poor people can can never win, and that's mm-hmm. such a just such a a tragic such a such a tragic piece, a tragic thesis statement for the for the series as well. Yeah, Um and for our society really, because you know we're as as citizens of the United States, we're if we're charged with a crime, we're like the the country is duty bound to give us our day in court. Like mm-hmm. that's a big part of our justice system, and it's like if we can't afford to properly defend ourselves we'll lose our lives. Yeah. But it's, it's Um,
1: become unsustainable, uh, at at the point we are now because mm -hmm. you can be some guy who works at McDonald's and you get charged with a crime. It's, it's way easier for you to go to court for one day and take a plea deal and go get on probation Mm -hmm. than it is to hire a lawyer, spend $10,000 on a lawyer, miss three weeks of work and not be able to pay your bills and go bankrupt. It's much easier to just take that plea bargain because you gotta get back to work to feed your kids. Right. And that's, that's where, that's what he's referring to when he says, it's hard to win if you're poor.
0: Right, right. That, that's what he means. Um, yeah.
1: That's something that I, I had a, uh, one of my professors in, when I was in, uh, college for, uh, criminal justice, he told a story about just, just like that. Wow. He was a father who worked, at worked fast food and he, he just took a plea bargain because he had to get back to work. Jeez. His kids had to eat. He was like, I didn't, I didn't do that. Huh. I was like, but I, I said I did because I had to get back to work. I can't, I couldn't go to court every day for three weeks. Jeez. So that's a thing that happens, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of got off, kind of got off track there. Right. <laughs> so the kind of, kind of the good guys, if you will, or the, mm-hmm. the protagonists. Right. At, in respect to this uh, documentary are Dean Strang and Jerry Buting. They're the, uh, uh, defense attorneys for Stephen Avery. Right. On the other side of the aisle, you have, uh, the, prosecutors and i i want to say because they moved they moved the trial to calumet county which is Mm -hmm. which is a neighbor of
0: manitowoc yeah uh
1: in in the in the pursuit of a fair trial right which is kind of a joke anymore it
0: is and especially in this case because it it got coverage in the media so like they couldn't go i think part of the i think they chose like they they chose to go there um to calumet county just just because like they knew that they couldn't go there's there was no way to go somewhere that would actually be fair like they didn't right. have like right. um it was too, so widespread and so mm-hmm. um covered
1: in, yeah in the modern age the modern information age you'd have to go to another state right i mean and that's that's you just can't do that that's not you know you can't do that anymore if you're being prosecuted by the state you can't go to another state to have your trial mm-hmm. so it's that that's a very unfair advantage that the state has is that you have the media against you and you have it's hard to get a fair trial, basically. Right. If, it, if it's a big profile thing like this. Um, so I believe the prosecutors were actually from Calumet County and not Manitowoc where the okay. crime actually took place. I might be wrong. Okay. I think they're from Calumet. I think they were special prosecutors from Calumet County. Uh, the most featured one, I think the, the lead prosecutor was, uh, Ken Kratz. Um, get your bleep button ready because <laughs> from the get-go, like, I think that within the first 10 or 15 minutes of him being on the screen, I looked over to my girlfriend. I said, this guy is a smug f-. <laughs> That's what I... I kept saying that phrase. I hated this guy so much. Me too. And, you know, I I, I think part of that is bias in the documentary. That's, that's oh, part yeah. of it. But so much more of it is the fact that this guy is a smug a-hole. Right. He really is. He just has that demeanor about him. He's He's just one of those one of those people who enjoys being on the prosecutorial side of the law right he, not
0: for not for justice or anything right. but for con- competing and winning and he enjoys pointing his finger
1: right and that that's what he enjoys doing and you could tell that throughout mm-hmm. this entire uh trial he just had this attitude of i'm right we all know this guy's guilty let's get on with it keep stop with your crackpot theories about you know corruption and planning evidence that's ridiculous i'm right you're wrong let's get on with this right he kind of that's kind of the smug attitude he had mm. throughout this entire trial um and, and i just i could not stand the guy me neither um but i will say i think he's a pretty good prosecutor
0: yeah I, yeah i think part of that is that he, i feel like maybe in that line of work and the less uh ethical people that are in in that uh, line of work, I guess, uh, they would need to have that kind of presence, I guess.
1: You do. It's, it's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate necessity. You have Mm -hmm. to have the right, you have to have the right attitude for the case. Right. You know, you have to approach, approach everything differently. Um, and and I think he, he knew that he needed to present this confidence in order to, you know, never, never leave any line of, uh, any any kind of points that he would make, never abandon it. Stick to your guns. Be confident and smug, and and you know, project the aura of correctness or right. or, or morality or ethics or whatever. Just project that, and people will. People, you're a trial. At the end of the day, is convincing twelve people of one thing. Mm-hmm. That's what a trial is. And he knows that if he he projects the right attitude and the right points and sticks to his guns that that's going to have a major influence on human beings, which right. is really what's happening in a trial. Um, so he, I think he's very good in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but he was definitely very antagonistic. He, he was the, he was the bad guy, if you will. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and I, when, at the end, when they revealed, you know, toward the end, when they were catching up with what all was going on each year, um, and they showed that he, he had, uh, had a um what's the word I'm looking for um, scandal he had that scandal yeah where he basically was texting uh his uh, an abuse victim that he was uh in working with basically uh-huh. and just basically like propositioning her and and really being just a, a prick um, yeah really like that seemed like that it felt it felt to me like it it just made me feel not happy but it, it made me feel like I'm I'm relieved that he got that that he was found out for something because it right. seemed he didn't seem like he didn't seem like a genuine person he didn't seem like a good person very true and um yeah
1: yeah I agree mm-hmm. so it was it was very very compelling to watch mm-hmm. these two groups go up against one another there was another special prosecutor I don't remember his name
0: uh for for Stevens case or are you talking for, for
1: Stevens case okay. there was another i can't remember i don't remember his name he was uh i think he was more of a forensic guy he was like a backup i think mm-hmm. but he i remember him he made a lot of comments to the media after the days proceedings and stuff like that mm-hmm. he was the one who kept saying oh he's like all this business of police planning evidence it's it's just nonsense That's it's right. just not
0: true i don't remember his name was he was he the one that was he wasn't the one that was the investigator. That no, no, no. I'm thinking of Brendan's case. Never mind. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, though.
1: I can't think of his name. Uh, he yeah. he was the less uh, the less compelling character, if you will. I don't I don't remember him.
0: Right. Much, but uh,
1: um, so it was just it was really compelling and mm-hmm. it was theatrical to watch these two groups go head to head and examine a witness and then cross examine. Right. Uh, you know the state the state calls their witnesses first and then the defense cross examines. And then you go over to the the defense and they call their witnesses and the state cross examines. It's just such a, it's, it's like watching a play. It's like watching a stage play. It really is. And and these were some theatrical guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I, I give all three of them a ton of credit for doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, but I give the two defense attorneys, Dean, uh, Dean Strang and Jim Buting or Jerry Buting, uh, mountains of credit for their integrity
0: right right. i I don't
1: think ken kratz had a ton of integrity obviously um so that's that's why those two kind of ended up being the heroes of this Mm -hmm. if you will because they those guys did a remarkable job yeah Uh, what
0: did you think about the actual case itself in terms of just the um just what we saw in the documentary series so don't like don't incorporate stuff um that you read afterwards but okay how did you feel about the presentation of it cuz i like i'll go ahead and just say some of my sure, thoughts been, on I've it. I've been
1: rambling. Please go ahead. Oh
0: no, you're fine. <laughs> um so basically it's it the way that it was presented to us it seemed just kind of completely convincing that um that the key was planted there and that uh that the that the blood i i i was i was so shocked when they opened the evidence and saw the vial that had been tampered with. Yeah. And like, I was just, like, I was just gobsmacked by that. I could not believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that it was, I, like, like so much else with this, I wish that this was a huger thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very theatrical presentation, but it's also in real life. So it's not like, like they end the episode with this vial that has a hole in it. Um, and saying that it, it's very possible that they took, that they took blood out to plant it on there. Mm-hmm. And like, when you, when you separate it into, if you, if you, if you think of it in terms of a fictional TV show, a serialized television show that's fiction, like that's like the, the arc of the next episode would be them, them, you know, going after it. And there'd there'd be big dramatic moments where it's, where it's all comes to light and everything. But the tragedy of making a murderer is that this is real life and real life isn't as theatrical as that. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it was just so it played with my sensibilities as a viewer really. And I, I, like that so so we had that and then the the key which i mentioned and then um the complete lack of or the the in uh, uh,
1: three words conflict of interest that too that everywhere, too yeah. everywhere
0: yeah oh yeah um yeah it was just it was it just seemed really obvious to me that he was set up for it that he was that that this was all orchestrated by um by forces that are stronger than him to Mm -hmm. to get him sent away and in throughout the course of the documentary series it's kind of it kind of becomes a uh, a big part of it becomes that they uh that they the theory is that they set him up not because they wanted him to send him away specifically but because they were so sure that they just wanted to get make sure that they got a conviction out of it and all that okay um that seemed at least a small part of it um, yeah. Here and there. And it's just it, it. like I just came away from it feeling like this is very obviously the way that it happened. Obviously, there's more information um, to be gleaned from it that didn't make it into the documentary series. But what was mm-hmm. your gut reaction after seeing it?
1: Um, it? It is without a doubt. This was a remarkably shoddy investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, the both sheriff's departments that were involved in this were definitely culpable in this case they they should have faced numerous uh consequences for their actions Mm -hmm. um which i don't think they did unfortunately um the most of the responsibility lies on the the uh manitowoc county sheriff's department because the crime took place in manitowoc county Mm -hmm. um but they as as law enforcement officers as in a respect, legal professionals, mm-hmm. they should understand the concept of a conflict of interest, which yeah. is a big deal. That is a huge deal in, in legal proceedings in anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that initially, you know, this is a crime that took place in their jurisdiction. They had to be first on the scene. Uh, but within 24 hours, they should have been on the phone to the state department of justice, the federal department of justice, the FBI, neighboring county uh, sheriff's departments saying, hey, we can't have our hands on this because we have a huge conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. They did not do that. Eventually, the Calumet County, which is the neighboring county, they took over primary investigation. Then I think the FBI did, or no, I'm sorry, then the uh, the Wisconsin Department of Justice, right, Wisconsin right. State Department of Justice took over. Um But that took days, days mm-hmm. and days. And even into I think months after this crime was committed, there were sheriff's deputies, there were Manitowoc County sheriff's deputies searching for evidence Yeah, in this
0: crime scene and finding evidence. Yeah. And that's just it. Oh, that is,
1: that is absolutely inexcusable. Right. Um, there's a point I wanted to bring up here. There is a, uh, there's some, what's called case made law, which is where a case goes to trial it concludes, and there's a law that's created as a result of that finding. It sets a, yeah, uh, a precedent? A precedent. A legal precedent, precedent yeah. yeah. It's called case-made law. There's a case-made law called the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, what it means is if – the the analogy is if a tree is poisonous, you would not eat the fruit from it. Therefore, you have to throw out the entire tree. Mm-hmm. That plays a role on how evidence works in our, in our, legal, our legal system whereas if if you find out that one piece of evidence was planted or if you find out that this one thing is untrue from the investigation you get a mistrial, you throw it out, you got to re reinvestigate it, you need to do it, it you, just, you it just it just throws everything off and you can't get around that. That's that's something that's part of the legal system cases and trials get thrown out for For someone not logging something into evidence in an hour, like, like I remember when I, when I spent time with a lot of cops when I was getting my degree, Mm -hmm. there were times where, like, you know, they needed to, they, they got a bunch of crap during the trial because it took them three hours to log a piece of evidence into the evidence locker. Wow. Instead of 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that, that almost got the whole trial thrown out and the criminal back on the streets because they didn't log something into evidence quick enough, Mm -hmm. which is nothing compared to what happened in this trial. (laughs) Right? I mean, it is, you have to talk about what is a fact and what is, what is an assumption and what is just a theory. Mm -hmm. It is a fact that someone tampered with that blood of vile. Yeah. Without question that happened. That happened. Um, it is a fact that, that these, uh, that these sheriff's deputies basically they didn't set Stephen Avery up, I don't think, but they mm-hmm. wrongfully convicted him of a previous crime and basically don't like the guy. Right. I mean, that's there's just there's just so many conflicts mm-hmm. of interest and just so many facts that stack against the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department mm-hmm. that they just they should not have been involved in this case any more than they needed to be, but they absolutely were. Right. Um, and, and this, this investigation was just so poorly done. There's just dozens of things you can point to mm-hmm. that, that are so damning. I think this, this trial, in my opinion, and I, again, I'm not a professional or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just my opinion. This should have been a mistrial within the first week. Right. The, the judge should have thrown it out.
0: Do you think that the level of, uh, the level of the, the, the level to which the investigation was so poorly handled and everything. How, how much of that do you think judging from what was presented to us from, in the documentary, how much of that do you think was corruption? How much of that do you think was incompetence? Uh, uh sh- shortcuts taken, uh, like how much of that? Like, it, it seems like to me it was more of a mixture of, of all of it. Like there, there was definitely a, a bias, like, uh, uh, the, uh, an assumption that, Stephen Avery did it if there was a malicious intent with to intentionally frame him for it without thinking that he like as a vindictive measure for uh, Mm -hmm. for that um, I don't know if that would be the most the the biggest aspect of it or if it was if it was just general incompetence and and, in yeah what do you think
1: I really think it's a mixture of Mm -hmm. all I think like you said incompetence uh, laziness um, corruption I Mm. think I think it's a blend of all those. Um, I I think the judge, um, I don't remember his name. Harris may have been his last name. I don't remember. Um, I I think he was kind of lazy. I I I think Mm. he should have recognized from the get go that this should be a mistrial. I think even when there were, when one of the respective attorneys would um, object to something, would would levy an actual objection, the judge just did not react very enthusiastically he didn't um Mm -hmm. i understand you have good days and bad days but you just can't have many bad days when you're dealing with people's lives like this you you have to be alert and you have to be on your game when you're at work and there were times where one of these lawyers would object and the the judge would be like um well you know i i think i think i'm gonna hold that objection and it's Mm -hmm. like what be decisive you're a freaking judge dude i mean That that was really frustrating to me. I I don't. He seemed like a very, a very hands off kind of judge, Mm -hmm. and that's not. I mean, there's different styles. I understand that, but this is just justice is supposed to be cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And again, this something this documentary demonstrated is that it's not. It's so biased. There's you're dealing with people, and people have personalities. And I don't think this judge had a very good personality for a judge for a a case like this. Um, I think the cops. Um gosh, I'm trying to think of the the investigators' names. Um Fossbender. Right. And the other one, I don't recall his, I don't name. Remember his name. Um he had it like like Whitmer or something like that It's a W something.
0: Yeah, something something with a W. Something with a W.
1: Yeah. Um I think they were somewhat incompetent in the fact that mm. they were they did not recognize the Personality and mental deficiencies of Brendan Dassey, right? Which is evidence that was tried. They tried to infuse it into Stephen Avery's trial, and it ended mm-hmm. up. They ended up abandoning it because it was so unreliable, right? Um, but just the fact that they 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 pursued so many things where they should have recognized that uh, this is not going to hold up very well in court, right? They they they, they put so much emphasis on those interviews and confessions with with brendan dassey mm-hmm. without the thought that it was going to be pretty unreliable right um it, and you know they they pursued so many different or they perf- they they pursued a certain line of events happening and ended up throwing it out mm-hmm. um just just you know it was it, brendan dassey said that he and his uncle basically raped this woman on a bed and mm-hmm. Brendan Dassey stabbed her,
0: slit her throat, slit her
1: throat, and drugged yeah. her out. Not one, literally, not one single shred of physical evidence right. suggested that at all. Mm. Nothing at all. And they, they like uh, searched for evidence in Stephen Avery's room mm-hmm. like five or six or seven times. Right, they would have found some kind of physical evidence. Yeah, there was nothing. Oh yeah. And they they pursued that line of reasoning for a long time, mm-hmm. and eventually just had to throw it out because it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but once you do it, the damage is done. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you can always have something stricken from the record, but, uh, Mm -hmm. once you plant that seed in someone's mind, it's there. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of a trick you can kind of use as an attorney. uh, And it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but like I said, you're dealing with human beings and we're, we're flawed and we have biases Mm -hmm. and preferences. And it's, it's just such a, it's such a delicate thing to weave a, weave a story together or a, um, a, a path to, acquittal or conviction so i mean they they just they didn't choose their direction very well i'll put mm-hmm. it that way and they just they just made so many mistakes throughout it uh it's it's just really shocking i think
0: right and uh to your point about planting a seed like the like an idea is <laughs> to quote inception is the most resilient parasite <laughs> yes yeah and uh, it's
1: impossible to kill an idea
0: yeah and uh So so, let's talk a little bit about the kind of afterwards. Like what um, evidence wasn't in in the in the actual documentary? There was some stuff that came out that, and we don't need to need to uh, really dwell on this all all that much. But um, there was one thing that struck me that I didn't really it didn't really even connect with me while I was watching it that much as as a big focal point. But um, the fact that both Stephen and Brendan were charged. And the theory that the state put against them yep. in each trial was, were inconsistent with each other. Yep. Like they're charged with the same crime in both. Like they don't match up. Right. And it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And in, and, and so frustrating. And I watched a and a with a uh, Dean Strang on that was on YouTube that I'll link to in the show notes. It It's like uh, about 15 minutes long. And then there's an extra like 15 minutes where he's on a, on a TV show on a, uh, on the news somewhere. And so one of the questions was, um, that question of why, why both, why both charged, why both of the people were charged when the theories were so inconsistent. And it was just to, like Dean Strang just said that, uh, he's, he's seen it before. It's a sad reality of, of the system that, that, that happens. And it's, it, it didn't seem like it was something that, uh, really shocked him. And it, Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was, ugh.
1: Yeah, in the Stephen Avery trial, she was killed in the garage. Mm -hmm. Um, But they alluded, they never alluded to uh, Teresa Halbach being raped and mutilated to a certain extent in the bedroom. Right. Uh, That wasn't part of their theory. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the Brendan Dassey one, you know, he was he stabbed her and Mm -hmm. he raped her and all this stuff. And it's like you literally have two different stories. Yeah. And and you know. This is a spoiler section. Both right. both men were convicted on two different stories. Yeah, who committed the same it's, crime supposedly?
0: It's infuriating.
1: It's, it's it's just remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if even if even if they both did it and they they were mm-hmm. both guilty of it and everything, the fact that it's possible for them to both be convicted when the when the prosecution puts out a theory that is that is incongruous with the other yes thing is just is just so it's mind-boggling it's mind-boggling and it's terrifying it is yeah it's because you think that you know the whole point of a court a court of law is that the the prosecutors have have a firm case against the defendant Mm -hmm. and the defendant is able to to uh defend themselves from it if it's not true it's just to see to just watch to watch people slip through the cracks like that is just such a such a wake up call <laughs> um right it's it uh it yeah um so the jury selection yeah there was some, did you read about the you, i i linked it to you the uh the jurors i did yeah yeah so for those who haven't like researched and everything there was uh at least one juror on on the uh in the case that had um in the trial that had um a conflict of interest. There were yeah. there were two. I can't remember exactly what it was. One was one was employer or one's son was employed by the manitowoc County Sheriff Yeah. uh department and the other one had um do you remember what the other one she was? She
1: was a clerk at the county courthouse. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So she was a county employee.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in that in that Q&A, um that was brought up to Dean Strang and he said that um And this, this was eye-opening to me, too, because I didn't, I didn't realize this at all. But, um, basically, he he said that you don't pick a jury, but you remove, you remove jurors from the selection. Mm -hmm. And that you only have six, six of them, uh, six strikes and everything. So basically, they were aware of those conflicts of interest, but they had, and this is, this is probably evidence of how poisonous this case was from, um, a media, standpoint that they had six they had chosen to deselect six people from the jur- from the jury selection and uh th- they had in their um opinion six people that were that were more compromising than someone who was someone who was uh familial re- familially related to the To the sheriff's department, that they are positing is framing their their uh, client mm-hmm. and someone who is a an employee of of the of the county. Yeah, it's just it's oh, it's it's <laughs> tough. <laughs> it
1: really is, and, and you know, jury jury selection is always that it, it's more art than it is uh, science, if you will. It's mm-hmm. jury selection is is a really. It's, it's a big problem, and, and and the thing is, like you said, you have six strikes, so you could have one person come up and be like, well, I don't want them because they're older and I need younger people. So you strike that person right. off, but then you know later on, you get a juror who has a son who's a cop, and it's like the one you struck out would have been a much preferable juror to the right. one that you end up with, but because you can't see what's coming... It's just like it's it's just such a delicate thing that's handled so poorly mm-hmm. um, on an official basis. I mean it's just that this is how you're supposed to do it this is how it works, and it's so flawed um it it's amazing that that's how we choose to pick jurors and 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 the kind of jurors that can end up on a on a jury is is really shocking the, the amount of bias that makes it into mm-hmm. juries. And that's really what we're trying to do with jury selection is eliminate biases. Right. um But you can only do so much. Also, you know, you're dealing with human beings. Like I said, they, we all have opinions and biases mm-hmm. and so you just can't weed it all out. And it's, it just, it just ruins the objectivity of, of the justice system. It's that, that was something that was shocking, but, I wasn't necessarily surprised because I, I think that probably happens every single day across the country,
0: right? And that's the that's the real tragedy of this documentary. Or right. That's the that's the main thing to kind of take away from it. Uh-huh. Um, so before we, I'm I'm we can kind of wrap up the topic too because I mean we've been talking for a while and we, we have, can yeah. we can talk for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to like the um discussion about the about the outcome and and all that stuff and and the filmmakers and all that stuff, um. Let's talk about Brendan's trial, cause. Yeah, let's. This, uh, like, I was so emotionally just, just ripped apart by it, really. Mm-hmm. It was just, it just hit me so hard. Um, that third episode where, where they show that he is being, you know, he, he gives his quote unquote confession, and then the episode after that is just, just so painful to watch because, it's just he, you he clearly doesn't have the presence of mind to know what he's doing or know the implications of what he's doing or mm-hmm. anything and there's some um by the way i love the way that this that this series uh, utilized uh, the calls um all kinds of calls throughout the entire history of it and everything it was just mm-hmm. it was cuz you can just hear you can hear the honesty and or the confusion and and uh, just the raw emotion. The candor. Yeah, much more than like any kind of talking head could have done after the fact or anything like that. It's just, yeah. it was very in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one moment in particular where Brendan uh, is talking to his mom that was just, like just destroyed me. It mm-hmm. was uh, when they were in, when they w- it was after he was arrested and charged and all that stuff and everything. Um, they're talking about his lawyer. <laughs> um, and so Brendan says that he likes his lawyer because he has the same favorite animal. His favorite animal is the same as, as Brendan's. Yeah. And then like the, the call ends with, uh, well, Oh my God. With, uh, with his mom saying, I love you Turkey. And then he says, um, why are you calling me Turkey? And then she's like, because you're my little Turkey. And then he's like, he just says, I ain't little. And it's just, it's so childlike. Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's just so, so it, 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 it pained me to watch it. Yeah. Um,
1: like he, that, He definitely was a juvenile mm-hmm. uh, on paper, obviously, but in spirit and, and his actual personality was literally childlike. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it. I, his his story is without question, I think, more tragic than Stephen Avery. Yeah. Even though Stephen Avery yeah. spent 18 years in jail for something he didn't do, mm-hmm. um, you would think he would. He would garner most of the sympathy, but this poor freaking kid. Yeah. I felt so bad for him. Um, and just, just the, the lack of awareness for the legal community to not understand how exploitative they were being mm-hmm. and how coercive they were being with this poor kid. Um, it's, it, that's, that's, that's a criminal act in and of itself, I think, to what, yeah. what they did to this kid as far as, uh, exploiting his, his shortcomings and, And deficiencies uh just absolutely beyond tragic i think it was criminal in my opinion
0: absolutely and uh and we can so so the way that the documentary kind of presents that aspect of it is it's a really interesting technique in that they kind of withheld some evidence from from us and then revealed it later particularly his uh, i think it was his sister or Mm -hmm. a relative of his cousin cousin yeah who uh basically was the one to tell the police that he that he that he was involved in everything. And then that's mm-hmm. kind of the impetus of what made them question him and everything. And that's something we didn't get early on. And that made us sympathize with Brendan a lot more and everything. It still does. It doesn't at all make it right. What they did in any stretch, but it was interesting the way that they withheld that. And then they kind of revealed it later. And, um, I, I just got so excited when she said it on, on the stand, like the one person who, who said, uh, who kind of seemed to know the severity of it and the wrongness of, of what was going on was the one to say, I made it up. He didn't say that, or he didn't do it or anything like that. I just, and that seeing that was just so raw and uh, heartbreaking. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, She, she was, I think she's one of the few people who told the absolute truth, Yeah, which is sad as a, as a 14, 15 year old girl, right? It takes that kind of naivety to be, candid and tell the truth that's that's really sad
0: and it's something that she has to live with because yeah it literally ripped the family apart oh yeah um oh yeah and yeah we can we can kind of just kind of wrap up the discussion a little bit here now but um that was one thing that i kind of came away from it with um came away from it was that, like, throughout the whole time I'm, I'm watching it, I'm, like, I've, I've seen on Twitter people making, making remarks and everything, a lot of, a lot of, um, like calls to action and also some some like the way that twitter is kind of you know like uh not snarky or sarcastic or anything but like kind of like little jokes here and there and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and then like i was so affected by this that i didn't tweet this or anything but i wanted to just after i was done be like oh i'm done with making a murder now i'm going to now time for me to make some some lighthearted joke about something that literally ripped an entire family apart yeah (laughs) um that's just the the level to which i was invested in this on an emotional level it was just so Mm -hmm. so gripping
1: yeah Um, let's uh just throwing this out there let's all be thankful that the state of wisconsin does not have the death penalty oh right i mean i uh brendan dassey would not have been would not have qualified for it even Mm -hmm. if they did have it but Stephen avery could have could be dead right now right for that Um, because brendan was just charged with I don't think they do degree murder. I think they do accessory to murder in okay. Wisconsin. I think that's what he was convicted of was accessory to murder, which is kind of like second degree murder. Mm. You didn't pull the trigger, but you were there. That's right. Kind of how it is, you know. It's
0: like there's a murder and you're like it's handbag or something. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to wow, line this up. You really <laughs> did. That was, I'm
1: surprised. Right
0: after I just made that yeah. joke or made that comment about, um.
1: Irony. Yep. Anyway. About um, the emotional impact and then you get right. trivial. And
0: it. yeah. About tr- anyway. How um. How dare you. So, but yeah. Accessory to more. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a it's a very fort, on one hand, it's very fortunate that it doesn't, but you have to extrapolate this entire experience by saying that, like, one thing that I was thinking about in terms of the time, the time aspect of it, like this all was going on in 2005 up until now. And I just started thinking about midway through or later on in the, in the, uh, in the series, I started thinking like, just think, like right now, as I'm watching this, someone is being arrested or someone is being framed or someone is being on trial for something similar like this and getting a similar raw deal out of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And, in here in like 10 years, we'll be talking about it on a podcast because we of We probably won't, actually. We'll probably not. Yeah. yeah. Wait, did you say will?
1: I said we probably won't. Won't, yeah. Because uh, this yeah. is just one trial. Think about exactly. the hundreds, if not thousands, that have no one knows
0: about. Right. Well, I'm saying that if it gets a documentary or something. Because, oh yeah, yeah. Because we don't talk legal cases on the obsessive viewer. We don't. Um, although you did mention objective. You are an objective viewer um, earlier, and <laughs> that got my wheels turning. That's funny. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> so check out our true crime podcast, The Objective Viewer. Um, <laughs> just kidding. So yeah, so to kind of to kind of wrap up. Um, how did how did you react immediately? I think we covered this earlier, but how did you react immediately after seeing this documentary? How was your how was your perspective on it? and then how did your perspective of of the case and the way it was presented to you shaped by the reading that you did afterwards and um on both sides, what did you feel about guilty or not guilty for um, both Brendan and Stephen?
1: Um, I, I, I felt so many things upon the conclusion of the, the series. I felt really sad at the state of so many different things. I was really frustrated and angry. Um, I, I really wanted more information. I, I wanted, I wanted the full breadth of information on this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a roller coaster ride of different emotions and reactions to how this all went. Um, it, at first, I was kind of, I was kind of pissed off at the filmmakers. I was like, you should have been more <laughs> objective and, and, you know, just, just present the evidence. You don't need to sway it, but I really can't blame them for this. I, I really can't, um, after investing right. 10 years in it and, and th- there's, there's so much to be sympathetic towards in this that I, I really can't blame them for that. Um, I, I stated, I think the, the biggest point of this docuseries that we should all focus on more than anything is that the justice system is screwed up mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, objectivity is a very rare thing to come by anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, so many of us are just completely subjective on any number of things. Um, and, and I, I, ju- I, wish there was a little more objectivity in the world. Um, at least in the first world where we are right um, right you know um it, there's there's just so many things I could point to, but it, if not in you know how we feel about politics or how we feel about sports or movies, you know that's i understand the subjectivity and those things, but justice you know there's there's that classic saying that justice is blind uh which which is a uh, you know a metaphor for for objectivity but it's just not it just isn't and it really should be Mm -hmm. um and that's that's the biggest thing i think we should all focus on with this documentary um Mm -hmm. but of course the sexier question is did this guy do it right did he kill this girl uh you know i really don't know (laughs) i really don't know there's so many other so much other evidence that was left out of the documentary that i've Mm -hmm. learned since um I don't know if we're going to take time to go over that but
0: let's just run I through it really quickly. Okay, just yeah. there was there was a few things that I, I'll just I'll just briefly run through. Yeah, um, a good idea. Yeah, because so some of the stuff that uh, was left out of the documentary. First of all, that um, the story of of Stephen as as a kid uh, burning the cat was presented to us as oh he just uh, the cat just jumped in the fire and or he was playing with him by the fire and it was just a dumb kid thing to do Yeah. when in actuality, what had happened was that he had covered the cat in gasoline and threw him in the fireplace a little more sadistic. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And that that was uh, shocking to hear. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then also that the, that Teresa, the victim had been to Steve's house before, um, a couple of times and that he once answered the door wearing just a towel and he had, um, that she didn't like going to his house, um, and that she told her boss that, uh, he creeped her out and that, um, Stephen had gone to uh, extreme measures to kind of get her out there the last time. Yeah. Um, like he, he called and requested her specifically and then, um, I believe that he gave his sister's name and phone number in order to kind of lure her out there Mm -hmm. um, because they wouldn't accept it if, if he did that or if he asked for her and they knew he was asking for. Um, And then also he'd called her um, using star 67 to hide his number on her phone like two or three times before she went to his house. Yeah. And so like all of that, am I forgetting anything? Uh, Well, there's
1: allegations of, uh, molesting, molesting his nephews. Yeah. Um, there's that. And then there's the theory Stephen Avery's actual theory is that one of his brothers, Mm -hmm. Charlie and
0: Earl Avery, I believe were their names. Right. I don't remember the names, but they were in the documentary. Were they in there Uh, briefly? Yeah. Okay. They were, one of them was the one that was like, he, he deserves everything that's coming to him or everything uh, that he's got. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think Stephen Avery's, uh, theory is that one of them committed the crime Mm -hmm. and planted everything on him, uh, because they were jealous that he was going to get a multi million dollar settlement from the county. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's one of huh. his theories. And one of those brothers was convicted of, uh, um, um, sexual assault. Really? On women. Uh, he was, he was a predatory person, basically. Jeez. Um, so that's, huh. that's pretty, pretty bad evidence. Uh, yeah. um, it kind of paints the Avery family in a darker mm-hmm. light. Um, Right. So there, there's those two things. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and all that stuff I think is important to know. When, yeah, when you're yeah. when you're looking at this. Um, so I I really don't know. I think maybe he did do it. Really. I think maybe, maybe he did. But I'm not 100% convinced. Yeah. And if if I had been a juror on that trial, I would I would have voted for a mistrial. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I th- I think I think he, the trial should have been conducted better. Mm-hmm. And since it wasn't, they should have done a whole new trial. There, right. there should have been that that was the the biggest mess i think ironically i think maybe the jury came to the correct conclusion that he mm. is guilty of this crime but the means by how they got there was ridiculously sloppy and unprofessional right. and not not a proper not a proper mm-hmm. properly conducted event
0: Right. And um, that evidence that was left out of the documentary, all was, a lot of it is just more character based stuff. So, like, it's, right. like, it was presented as, oh, they left out a lot. This is clearly like he's, he's guilty and everything. I didn't get, come away from it like that. I, yeah. I felt that he, it just, I mean, he's a weird, weird guy. He, it made him less sympathetic, but I don't mm-hmm. think it, it didn't prove to me beyond reasonable doubt that he, did it or anything however there was one there was one piece of evidence also that they had dna of his at yeah. um that was underneath the hood
1: yes it was on the hood latch yeah of Teresa Hallbach's car
0: right and uh basically that's is not possible yeah it was um, not it wasn't it's blood, not plantable
1: yeah it wasn't blood dna it was like sweat right or something right like that. yeah
0: um which is it wasn't included in the documentary, but right. Um,
1: that's pretty bad too. Yeah, obviously, yeah.
0: that's the one that I, I would latch onto and think, well, maybe he did. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not convinced that he did. Yeah, I'm, but and it's I'm possible. Not
1: yeah, I, I think I, I don't think Stephen Avery is necessarily a good person based right. on some of the stories about him and all that stuff.
0: The Stephen Avery in the show is a good person, yes. but the the what comes to light afterwards, it, he's not as. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I think he's... Uh, he, yeah, like you said, he was sympathetic in the in the series, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I don't think he's necessarily evil, though. I think right. he's just done some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, take that as you will. You know, you might have, you might have a different opinion. Um, right. But on the other hand, Brendan Dassey, I think that kid is almost entirely 100% a victim.
0: Oh, oh, one, oh wrong absolutely. Wrong at the wrong
1: time, born yeah. into the wrong family. Mm-hmm. Um, just... I feel really bad for that kid.
0: It's the tragedy of the documentary, really. Yeah. It's th- Brendan.
1: I think it's possible that he may have witnessed something. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did see Teresa Hallbuck by their property taking pictures of the car. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did see his uncle burning body parts in a uh, in a fire. But I do not believe for one second that he raped Teresa Hallback. Right. I don't believe that he stabbed her. I don't believe that he stood by and watched his uncle kill her. Mm -hmm. I I do not believe that. Um, I don't think this kid, I think the most he's guilty of is perjury. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he has no idea what perjury even is. So is he really guilty of it if he has no intent to commit perjury? Right. I mean, it's, uh, that is an absolute mess. That kid Mm -hmm. should be at home with his parents right now. Mm.
0: The one of, one of the, if not the most infuriating thing about this entire 10 episode documentary series is that the, the juror and the jury in his trial did not see the part of the video of him saying that they got in his head. Yes. Like that is just like the, the most just infuriating part of it. It really is. Um, and it's, it's the biggest, most tragic part of it really. Mm-hmm. um, there there's another
1: thing I wanted to bring up just super mm-hmm. quick. Sure. They show a evidence video where the uh the police department comes into the crime scene afterwards and films part of their search. And there's a part where they go into Stephen Avery's home, his trailer, and they see they're like in his bedroom and they see his closet and there's some shoes in there. Mm-hmm. And one of the police officers says i I'm not I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember exactly what she says, but she says something along the lines of Hey, maybe we should grab some of those shoes in case we've got some unsolved burglaries in the area. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how is that not a blatant admission of corruption, right? And just oh, yeah. planting evidence. Some, I mean, that's that is that is egregious. Mm-hmm. That that was basically unaddressed. Absolutely. I, that that's ugh, that was awful.
0: Yep. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh.
1: Anyways, we anyway, got, we got off track like we tend to do. I don't know right. if he did it or not. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I I I don't know if he did. I'm inclined to think that he didn't, but um it is a little bit of the bias from the documentary yeah. uh guiding me into that. Um if he did do it, I don't there's no way that he did it the way that they said that he did it. Yeah. And yeah. there's no way that there's no way that the evidence that they found was I don't think that there's any way that the evidence that they found wasn't tampered with in some way. Or, oh yeah, or everything. The way that it was presented there is just absolutely oof, just such a mess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Making a Murderer. Um, I mean, coming away from this, I, I would really love to see. Uh, uh. Netflix do more things like this or fund more things like this or buy more things like this, uh, documentaries like this and, Mm -hmm. and true crime documentaries, particularly.
1: I mean, Uh, I, I love Netflix so much for their commitment to documentaries. mm -hmm. Um, last year I watched 89 or something like that. Right. I think 75 of them were on Netflix. Jeez. They're they're just so committed to quality. Mm -hmm. That's one of their first, I think one of their first, um, uh, like production things they launched was Netflix documentaries, uh, they actually, right. they actually like financed documentaries, people to go shoot documentaries. That's one mm-hmm. of the first things they did, I think, in, 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 in the pursuit of original content. Um, that's right. And I'm just so glad that they're taking stuff like this cause I love it. And I think it's, it's, it's great. Not only great entertainment, but great, uh, great, uh, thought provoking, mm-hmm. thought provoking information to, yeah. to digest and
0: conversation starting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. All right, so, um, how would you feel about us, uh, clearing the air, as it were, and talking about some potpourri, <laughs>
1: making the air smell nice? Yes, with because, some potpourri. Because
0: we'll do ever we need it? It's been, I've been a while. Farting this whole time, it, it really <laughs> has been a while. It's been like three, four weeks, maybe. It, it has, and uh, yeah. I have, I have four things I want to bring up. Okay. And in saying that, I, I also want to preface that by saying, um. Next week we're doing extended potpourri, mm-hmm. which, by the way, thank you everyone for listening to the Obsessive Viewer uh, I, uh, and everything like that. And I apologize that uh, two weeks ago we were supposed to have an extended potpourri episode out, but it just didn't work out that way. So we had a week off. So I apologize for that. But um, I was sick as well. Right, right. So, yeah. So, so we've built up a lot of potpourri. For first time listeners of the podcast, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about uh, anything that we want to in regards to movies and television. Uh, that's stuff we've watched, stuff we're looking forward to, news items, anything like that. Um, so, for potpourri, I mentioned that I had four things, and I mean, I have a feeling next week is going to be just a massive episode. Yeah. Um, much like this one and last week's episode, but anyway. Um, so I have two things, and, or I have four things, but I'm going to talk about two and then have, you have one? I have one, yeah. So we'll sandwich that in between. Um, so the two that I have, first of all, um, kind of interesting in that I, I intentionally did this because I wanted to have something related to the main topic, basically in order to talk about um, one is the first one is the Jinx. Are you familiar with this tiny? Have you watched any of it? I am not. I don't I actually don't know anything about it. Um, and I've not Very watched any Very interesting. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the Jinx is on HBO. It was, it was on, it's a six part mini series or mi- six part documentary series. Um, it was, I think it was early around this time last year that it was airing or maybe uh, a few months ago before that um it's basically about uh robert durst are you familiar with that guy i'm not okay so so the the lead singer limp (laughs) biscuit no Ah! no that's that's no um (laughs) anyway uh so robert durst is the is the eldest son of um a, a a real estate tycoon in new york who owns several uh skyscrapers and stuff okay so he is in the 80s his wife disappeared Robert Durst's wife's disappeared, and it was heavily believed that he was, um, involved with the disappearance and things like that. Um, there's a lot more to the story, but I'll, I'll keep you in the dark for it. Um, please watch it. You will okay. freaking get a lot out of this. Okay. So, the whole documentary is that there's, there's just a, a few instances where, um, death, um, has occurred to people near him. Wow. Um, yeah, and so this filmmaker, Um, I can't remember his name and he's done a lot of, a a lot of stuff or a fair amount of stuff, but, um, he made a movie about, um, uh, about Robert Durst called all good things. You may have seen it on Netflix. Okay. Uh, it's the cover is, um, uh, 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 oh my God. Uh, um, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Okay. So. So like it, that movie is based on the Robert Durst, Durst story. Wow, okay. And uh so basically what happened was that movie came out in I think 2010 and then Robert Durst saw it and called the filmmaker and was like, "Hey, I would like to have a one-on-one interview with you in order to get my side of the story out there." Wow. Yeah, and uh oh uh, and if you don't know anything about the story, like go like go and watch it. Like that should be what you do like as soon as you possibly can. Okay. Um so basically the 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 series is is a really well constructed documentary where they go through all of the all of the stories and everything like that they have a really interesting use of uh reenactments that are really well handled uh, but i guess they got some flack because it's a little tasteless to show you know yeah. reenactments of dead bodies but i d- it true. didn't it didn't bother me or anything but the the main thing about it is that this documentary series is so has so much there has a few really incredible jaw dropping moments that you like it, it blew my mind. Like I wow. it, it was insane what they got on on film for this. And um I won't say what it was or anything like that, but just just why it's it's amazing. It's okay. on HBO and HBO Go and all that. Nice. Um but also they the way that the way that Durst is presented, he's a very eccentric guy. He's very strange, and um, I was listening to a, a podcast review of it um, a while ago. Like it, it was funny because I, I remember hearing about this last year when I, when it was like more uh, culturally culturally relevant and mm-hmm. talked about on podcasts. And I remember one podcast in particular uh, referring to it as um, <laughs> referring to seeing Robert Durst talk as what if extraterrestrials were real and they were talking to us like, like it's that level of disconnect of um, it's a surreal thing. Like, like I, when watching it, I felt like it was, it was like watching an alien try to imitate a human, a human. And it was, it's, it's, it's chilling. It's absolutely chilling and unnerving. Um, Like he has this weird, Tick and this very weird, like, tell where he blinks, like, aggressively after he says something that is pretty much anything he says. <laughs> wow. And it's just, it's, and where it all leads is so. Watch it and we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm, I'm dying to talk to you about it, I'm honestly. Very intrigued. Yeah. It's six episodes. I, <laughs> uh, I came home, I think it was, uh, Monday from work and I watched all six episodes. Wow. Yeah. And like, they're all like about 50 between like, there's one episode that's like 35 or 39 minutes, but the rest are between 30. It's between 39 and 50 minutes for each episode. Okay. And I mean, I was, I was, it was riveting. It was absolutely riveting. Nice. Um, and much like making a murder, don't Google it if you're not aware of it, because it's, it'll, it'll, it'll be very interesting to talk to you about it. Nice. Um, that's the Jinx. It's on HBO and HBO go and HBO now and all that. Um, And then my second potpourri for this section is uh The Thin Blue Line, which I actually just watched tonight. Um it's from nineteen eighty eight. It's uh Errol Morris's documentary about um uh, it's it's an acclaimed document it's an acclaimed documentary about um a crime a, a, a police officer that was murdered in um uh what year was it? Nineteen seventy six, I believe. Okay. And yeah. in Texas. And it's I, I i have to admit i just i don't it it was really it was really hard to um i didn't think it was very accessible really um it was just i mean it's a bunch of it's a traditional documentary also similar to the jinx it has reenactments uh throughout it Mm -hmm. and um what was really jarring and and um just just not conducive to a good experience watching it was that all the talking heads like there's no like title cards to, s- to identify who they are oh. it's not presented in a way that's uh, that's maybe I'm spoiled by like the jinx and making a murderer right right because it's not constructed in a way that is conducive to a narrative format, so it's like you just use it from the from the opening and I don't know if this is a signature of Errol Morris or not I haven't seen any of his other stuff but um. From the, from the beginning, it's just like you see talking heads and then you see the, it's like, it's like they, they're talking and they're talking to the subjects of it, not, not identifying who they are or anything like that. Um, and then it's like, it's like 15 minutes into it. I, I had no context for who the suspect, who the suspects were. It was a very dry experience. And then, um. And then, like, they introduce, they introduce the people, but without really introducing them, it's just there, it's kind of an in-progress thing. It's almost like an in-progress, um, experience of, of just kind of stumbling onto these interviews with these people. Huh. Um, and then, and then it just shows, it shows a reenactment of the crime. And it's, it's shot in a way that I did not, I just did not like. It was mm-hmm. basically the, the crime was that, uh, a police officer on a traffic stop came up to a car and then, some, the driver of the car shot, shot him four times and then he fell to the ground. Um, the way it's, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very 80s way to shoot it. Um, <laughs> and by that I mean that he, he comes up to, like, they show him coming up to the, to the car and then as soon as he reaches the point where the gun is fired off, it shows a close up of the gun and he's, it's firing four times. And it's just, it's so, there was, it it immediately put me at a disadvantage and made me unable to connect to it. And Hmm. it was, it was a pretty, and I'm like, I have notes for it and there's like, um, (laughs) it, like, I, I identify the two central, uh, subjects of it as Guy in White and Guy in Orange, cause I didn't know their names. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was really frustrating. And it's, it's seen, I believe it's pretty, uh, well regarded and highly acclaimed. I just, I didn't get it. Um, in, in huh. my final thought on it is that it had a very weird, like, talking head style. Um, mm-hmm. it was like, it was, it was as if they were, it it wasn't like they were answering questions like it wasn't like and and you don't see uh anyone interviewing them or anything so the talking head style is just basically them it's like all the people that are talking it's like they're telling a story and they don't really it's not um it's not smooth enough okay and the editing is very strange like there's one where um i think one of the lawyers is talking and she's she's telling she's saying something and then um, it cuts away to a reenactment with her still talking over it. And then it cuts back to her. And like, it's the audio is, is fairly seamless. I, I think. Um, but the video is like clearly the video of her talking in the second after the reenactment is a completely different take or a completely different thing. Cause she's wearing glasses when in the first mm-hmm. one she isn't. And then there's even like her, I think it's her introduction to the documentary when she's talking. It's, it's like, it's, it's like it was cut to it, um, or it's like in editing, it's like they cut off maybe 30 seconds or maybe like 10 or 20 seconds of it. Cause it's like, it cuts to her. This is the first time we're seeing her and she's like in mid sentence hmm. and it's just, it was just really off putting. It and, sounds very disjointed. Yeah. It was very disjointed, very off putting. And I don't know, it was, and it was, it didn't really, it didn't hook me and it didn't, it didn't give me a much, uh, much uh in terms of a narrative or anything to really follow i i was just very very off-puffed by it and very disappointed because it it had a lot of uh weight behind it i think it's
1: funny you bring it up because i i actually watched it mm-hmm. uh at some point point. and it's funny I, I don't remember it really <laughs> i really don't remember it but i i just lo- i looked it up when you mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier and uh i gave it three stars mm-hmm at some point. So I watched it but I, I have no memory of it. <laughs> wow. So
0: it must have not been very good. Yeah. I gave it two stars and um I, I gave it two stars and it's funny because I <laughs> I had an idea of what it was. I, I, I thought that I knew what it was, but I think that in my head I had it confused with I wanna say Clint Eastwood is in this movie, but I had it confused with the movie In the Line of Fire. Okay. I think that's the name of it, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, it wasn't it, it didn't do anything for me. If you've seen the th- thin blue line and I'm missing something entirely, or if this is a signature of Errol Morris' style, I might I might check out some of his other mm-hmm. stuff um just to just to get a taste of it, but I I was uh Thin Blue Line didn't do anything for me. Um Okay. Yeah. So what do you have for Poopery Tiny?
1: Well, uh, it's more documentary. Um, <laughs> uh, that's all we've been talking about this episode. Right. Um, and it's something I bring up all the time, but mm-hmm. I, I watched a, a documentary that came out, uh, in the past couple of months, I think. Um, it's called Best of Enemies. Oh, um, it it's, it's a documentary that follows, um, these, uh, political debates that took place during the, um, the, uh, the party conventions during the 1968 uh, presidential election. Um, the democratic national convention in 1968 took place in Chicago, which is, it's a very, it's a very famous uh, convention because there was, it's famous for the protests that took place during it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a very, very famous convention. Um, but throughout those two conventions, the, the Republican one, um, I forget where that one was. I want to say Florida. Um, they had these debates between two political figures, um, political pundits. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very famous if you follow political philosophy. Uh, on the more conservative Republican side was William F. Buckley Jr., um, who's a very, a very prominent, uh, television personality, uh, political philosopher, um, a pundit, um, just, just very famous on, on the right, if you will. Uh, and then on the other side, you have another icon of, of, uh, of politics, uh, Gore Vidal, um, who is a very famous, uh, left-leaning liberal, um, people, there's a lot of kind of, he's kind of mysterious. Some people think he was a gay man, uh, some people mm-hmm. think he wasn't. It's kind of myst- mysterious. Uh, maybe he was bisexual. They're not really sure. Um, but he was a very, um, a very prominent, um, social rights, proponent uh okay. well well before that was a very famous before that was a popular thing um he he was an author who wrote um he wrote some books that involved homosexuality uh transgender issues um that, that he he wrote a book where a, a a transgender woman rapes a man uh it's wow. this was in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, so that was a very he was a very controversial but very far ahead of his time uh, pundit on social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys are two opposite sides of the political spectrum. Um, but they, they, it's kind of ironic they had very similar backgrounds. Um, hmm. They're both part of very elite families, like one of those deep American families that goes back centuries, that kind of had some carved out some kind of corner of the East Coast and was very famous uh and very powerful in their respective communities just kind of like the kennedys they they okay. both they both came from families kind of like the kennedys the buckleys and the Vidals. right um and so they 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 both kind of have this philosophy that the elite members of the elite are born to lead men mm-hmm. you know that's 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 kind of a famous a famous philosophy is that you know you're you're born into these families with all this privilege and you're supposed to use that to become a leader. That's kind of how these two people thought. And you know, William Buckley kind of thought you use your resources to become a man of power. And then you use that power to steer, uh, to steer law and to steer philosophy and all that stuff in the right direction. Whereas Gore Vidal believed that you use your power to Kind of give back to the populace, the less elite people. Okay, and it's kind of at the time that wasn't really something that was widely expressed, but now we see that as conservatism and liberalism, which are two things that everyone. If you if you know anything about politics, Republicans are conservative and Democrats are liberal, and that right. these two men during these debates kind of cemented that conflict, that that was the the beginning of that conflict of, you know, small government versus big government and Hmm. uh, helping out your fellow man versus steering law in the right direction so they can help themselves. It's kind of, you know, it's stuff that you hear every single day on the news now, Mm -hmm. but back then it was a revolutionary thing that no one had really established yet, so... This kind of conflict we're in; these two men kind of started it with these debates in the nineteen wow. in the nineteen sixty eight. Um, huh. They debated each other ten times, I believe. Maybe it was twelve. I don't recall. Wow. But each, con- I think it was maybe it was eight times because each convention I think was four days. Okay. And they would have a debate on ABC News after the day's <laughs> yeah. events, and so they did the Democratic one and the Republican one. So I think it was mm. eight times. Um, and it's it, it it culminates into an area where they uh After the last debate, the two men never spoke again. Wow, and they absolutely despised one another. Wow. They hated each other on a personal level, on a philosophical level and the thing is they were they are both they were both they 've both since passed away, but they were both mm-hmm. just absolutely brilliant intellectual men Jeez. who understood their arguments so well and knew how to debate very well mm-hmm. uh Gore Vidal was more um more oratory based whereas mm-hmm. William Buckley was more debate uh, okay. debate heavy um like subject subject he knew how to attack gotcha he knew how to dismantle arguments very well mm-hmm. uh he knew how to use ad hominem attacks and different different kinds of uh different kinds of tactics to to bring someone down um it was it they showed some of the debates obviously in this documentary it was really mm-hmm. interesting to see how the two styles really. Got under the skin of their opposing, their their opponents, um, right? Uh, and it there there's something that happens in one of the debates that kind of haunted William F. Buckley for the rest of his life. Um, oh. I don't want to spoil anything, but right, um, the documentary was just so amazing. It was so cool. I, I never realized mm. how important these debates were, mm-hmm. and I never I knew who William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal both were. Right, I've read some of Buckley's stuff. He's hilarious. He's he actually reminds me a lot of our friend Greg Lenz. Oh, um, really? He, he's a lot like that, except a little more. <laughs> A little more, uh, I don't know, proper, I guess. Uh Um, No offense, Greg, Um, but it's it was just so fascinating to watch these two posh upper class guys, elitists, duke it out on national television. Um, And 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 the documentary is fantastic. They just they really dove into this, and it's this is this is a philosophical debate that's raging in the fires of hell right now. It's just, it's just every, every time you look about anything about politics, it's just, there's so much fervor and vitriol. And, Mm -hmm. and you could argue that the source of it is these eight debates between these two men. Um, it's just a really fascinating thing that I don't think a lot of people know much about. I I knew almost nothing about it. Um, Mm -hmm. so I was just really blown away by how monumental this was. Um, and the documentary covers it great. Uh, one of my idols is actually, uh, interviewed in it, uh, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, nice. Uh, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was, uh, hearing him talk about it, I was like, he was talking about William F. Buckley like he's the greatest debater of all time. Jeez. And I was under the impression that Christopher Hitchens was the greatest debater <laughs> of all time. So, uh, wow. it, it's, it's just really, it's such a, it's such a unique event that so many people have never even heard of mm-hmm. i'm really glad someone made a documentary about it so i can nice. understand the importance of it it's it's made me very intrigued to it's inspired me to go out and read some of their these two the philosophy of some of these two men mm-hmm. I, I mean just per, i don't want to get political but personally i kind of fall in the middle of the two of them I'm kind of a libertarian kind of guy so um i don't necessarily like Go to either side. I don't necessarily say like, oh, William F. Buckley is so much better than Gore Vidal or whatever. Right. I don't really care, but yeah. I think they're both incredibly intriguing and compelling people who are far more intelligent than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it's really inspired me to go search out some of their their writing and and some of their speeches and stuff like that. Um, it's it's really awesome and it's on Netflix. It's only like ninety minutes. It's a pretty quick documentary. Um, it's really great. Um,
0: Very cool. Best I, of enemies. I saw it on Netflix. I, I think it was just recently added. So I, I saw it pop up and I, I immediately thought of you because I knew that you would be interested in it. Yeah, so, yeah. um That's cool. Would you say that there are master debaters?
1: Dear God. So
0: anyway. Um, uh, how old are you? Um, <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> so for my to, – to kind of round out Potpourri uh, here – I okay, so I made a pledge <laughs> or I was challenged uh many many moons ago yeah <laughs> um back in o v one forty one which was our food documentary episode um tiny chose at random from a bag and he he chose a a number from a piece of paper that basically told me that I needed to watch um, a certain number on my in that case it was my hulu queue uh, which was a documentary called absinthe. Um, so I watched it, um, like a month ago and I just haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast because we haven't done a, uh, traditional potpourri segment at all Mm -hmm. since then. So, so Absinthe is a documentary about the, again, it's funny that it's another documentary for this episode. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's a documentary about the drink, Absinthe, and kind of about the history of it and, and all that. And honestly, I, I, it was... I wish I would have talked about it earlier because it's, it's kind of gone from my mind. It's, it's kind of forgettable. Um, there's a lot of, um, emphasis put on the history of it. And, and there's a lot of, um, people that talk about how, okay, this was my main takeaway from it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) watching a documentary about something that people love is really interesting. Hmm. But watching a documentary about something that people love—that is something that you taste—that I have never tasted, and and I don't think I can really get access to taste here—right—isn't um, really that interesting. <laughs> um, it was kind of dry, it's, no pun intended, um, <laughs> and some of it was a little not snobby, but just kind of kind of just it it wasn't really for me they they were talking about how um probably the most interesting thing about it honestly is that the style in which they drink absinthe i, I always just assume you get a bottle and pour it in a glass and drink it and you're mm-hmm. you're going to have um uh, uh Hallucinations. A, hallucinations. That's yeah. that was my, that was my perspective of absence going into it. Um, it's not like that at all. And it, actually, I'm I'm doing a disservice to the actual documentary, and I'm kind of all over the place. But um, there's a moment in the documentary that talks about that how it was banned. Um, following a, uh, uh, I can't remember the exact spe- specifics, but um, someone had I, I think a guy had murdered his family or something. Mm-hmm and it like the media basically assumed or or they said one thing and then extrapolated it to where it was like oh absinthe made him murder his family so we're going to ban it uh, okay and and it was just basically a smear campaign against absinthe and huh. it's not like that at all okay um it's just it's just a drink but um yeah so that that was one part of the documentary that i was somewhat interested in but, um, another part that it, the, is the style, the way in which they drink it, basically they. Do they poured over sugar cubes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. And I thought that was just interesting. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And that's.
1: It's a very, like, Eastern European, uh, Slavic right. kind of thing to do that. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I think that's kind of where absinthe hails from or is yeah. most popular over there. So. Yep. That doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a documentary about a drink that I've never drank and probably never will. So. <laughs> I mean, if you're into that, it's check it out it's should still be on hulu so absinthe doesn't actually have hallucinogenic properties i don't believe so no interesting yeah not to the effect that it's been uh colloquially believed or whatever um good to know yeah and so finally my uh last bit of potpourri is was uh on episode 142 which was um our Creed review, Uh we picked another thing for me to uh, review and it happened to be Pontypool. It was on my Netflix queue and Pontypool was a a much more enjoyable experience for me from uh, um, uh, other than absinthe was uh, Mm -hmm. basically it it was a, uh, it it was, it's a, it's a zombie movie, but it's contained. It's uh, it's this, this, uh, this radio DJ uh, doing a morning radio show is in his studio with his uh there was two people. There's one is his producer and the other is um uh I think a technician or something. Okay. Um or like an intern or maybe not an intern, but um kind of a fact checker or something like that. So Pontypool is a zombie movie in which the entire pretty much the entire thing is localized to the studio. Interesting. Yeah and um I really, really, it, it spoke to me, um, because I, I kind of love the idea of our, in my head, I've romanticized the idea of the late night radio DJ. Um, and this is just me, like as a kid, I was a night owl and I would listen to the radio when, or I would, uh, go with my, uh, like, uh, at, at, some point or another, my, my family was down to like, like one car, we had one car and, my mom had to pick up my dad at work or vice versa. And they worked nights, um, or worked, worked, they got off work late at night. So I would go with them to pick up the parent. And I would hear just, you know, this is back in the days of radio. And like people were talking on the radio at night. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of the idea of someone sitting in a room (laughs) talking into a microphone to just the ether and then taking calls and stuff was just something that I developed a, uh, I romanticized in my head a bit in my childhood. And that kind of, uh, it, it kind of, it kind of, it, it's it's funny that now I do a podcast. Um, it's an unfortunately lost art for the most part. It is, I, I think, yeah. From a live perspective, anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so in, in that kind of aspect of the movie really spoke to my podcaster heart as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. The, the, I don't have the name of the actor, I apologize, but the actor who is the DJ, I, like, if anything else, his, his radio voice in the show, in the movie, is like, incredible. Like, he has such a great presence in the movie, and it made it really easy to just, just dive into it and everything. Um, and so, so, the entire movie's, you know, uh, the first, the first two thirds are really, really good. Um, and, in that, as you get more information about what's going on, cause it's basically he's finding out, uh, through, through, um, some affiliates and, and stuff like that about this zombie outbreak that's happening outside of his walls. Mm-hmm. And, um, as all the information comes out, it's, it was really, it was really interesting. It was, it was, it was something I was really along for the ride on. Um, and there's, there's a few, Nice moments of kind of, uh, levity and kind of dark humor too, because there's like, um, the, there's, there's a correspondent who's like the, the morning, um, uh, 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 traffic guy mm-hmm. who it's like he's in a helicopter and all that. So that's an interesting thing, but it's a low budget thing. So you don't see him. It's just all over the air, um, in the, in the station, but there's, there's just little bits and pieces that come to light about him. And it's, it's just, like like there's like off the cuff remarks saying something about him, and it's just it just kind of just completely shatters the idea of what of what this radio station is and what what not not to that degree but um to what he's doing uh, really and it's it's just a nice bit of uh humor in in it um okay and it, it's just it's just a i don't know i can't oh the the actual zombies in it um i i won't give away much about them, but I will say that the they're somewhat unlike any other zombies I've seen hmm. <laughs> while also reminding me heavily of like one of my more, um, my, one of my more favorite, uh, Dr. Who episodes, actually. Okay. Um, uh, I won't say which one, but, um, it's just, it's an inventive way, an inventive spin on the zombie genre. Um, yeah. And I just, I thought that it was just a, a really killer concept and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I thought that it was, uh, it didn't really it didn't really it didn't really end in a satisfying way for me, but I, I thought that the ride uh, to that ending was was more than enough to make up for any shortcomings I had with the ending. Nice. Yep. And that's uh Pontypool and it is on the Netflixes. Sweet. Yes. So we oh my god, we're gonna have a long episode this Another week. Another one, yeah. Yeah. Um so anyway, so yeah, uh, yeah. So that that's it. But Tiny, before we go, let for the first time in 2016, do you want to pick a yeah. thing for me to do? Let's do it. Sweet. All right. Amazon numbers 41 to 50. Yep. So that's the first Amazon pick. I think it is, and mm. I'm really excited. Uh, so what's number? Do you- uh, I'm gonna go with 44.
1: 44 Since we're all currently right. being ruled by our 44th president <laughs> that's Jeez. just random
0: that was that was very random that didn't i didn't mean that to sound so disdainful <laughs> right. <laughs> all right well i'm going to go ahead and uh count this so um so number 44 on my um amazon uh prime instant Q is <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> A documentary. <laughs> ah. Nice. It's called uh, "Misery Loves Comedy." It's okay. uh, it's it's directed by Kevin Pollak, and uh, basically, here's here's the plot description from Amazon Prime: Are all comedians miserable? Kevin Pollock sits down with some of the most successful comics working today, including Tom Hanks, Jimmy Fallon, Amy Schumer, and Judd Apatow, to learn about what drives comedians to be funny. I am crazy excited for this. Actually, nice. Yeah. Um, I like Kevin Pollock. Me too. Me too. Um, all right. So then that'll be on next. We'll open next week's episode with that, Okay. Uh, which will be extended potpourri, which we have tons of, I at least have tons of stuff that, uh, we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my cat is eating the paper. um, <laughs> so anyway um yeah so yeah that's that does it for us thanks for listening and uh once again if you guys could if you haven't already uh please go on itunes and rate and review us um you know just just to help support us and all that um yeah and then also uh have a good day all right thanks for listening thanks for listening guys (laughs)
2: Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loud Like from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash music. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.